The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for February 12th, 2020. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. We're going to talk a little about uh, a little bit about impeachment, where it is, uh, how you should feel about it. We're going to do a, a bigger deep dive into some updates on something we talked about a week ago, and that is the California recall of Gavin Newsom. S has gotten real in the Golden State. It looks like we're going to have the green light for a fall freak show, a mad rush to see if the governor will no longer be the governor in uh, what will be just a crazy, crazy, crazy time. We'll get into all that. We also got a mailbag speaking of California, to see whether or not I'm a hypocrite, a hypocrite for leaving California. Mm, so I am. I'm moving to Texas. Am I a hypocrite for doing so? We will answer that. And we are joined by Brian Brushwood of uh, The Modern Rogue, my co-host on Night Attack, we are going to talk about the uh, confirmation of Neera Tandon and how much social media has become a, a fabric of everything, including now the highest echelons of federal politics. It's one thing when a campaign wraps around a Twitter account or Facebook, but now we're looking at, at Neera Tandon's mean tweets. And boy, howdy, are there plenty of mean tweets. And asking whether or not she is fit or competent to serve in the Biden administration. I think it's a great conversation. You should stick around for it. But first. Prosecution has rested in the second impeachment trial of the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. There were few surprises, specifically because everything that we're talking about happened so recently, right? We are uh, uh, barely past a month since January 6th when Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. Uh, it only took a few weeks for Trump to be impeached in the House and then passed the beginning of the new Senate term for there to be a trial in that chamber. The House managers went over the evidence. I think that they laid out a fairly compelling timeline of events. Uh, they did well to point out all of the... Uh, 
visceral, violent, confusing, enraging, emotional elements of this process. The Trump defense is going to keep it short. Brevity being the soul of wit and all. Uh, their argument is that, uh, uh, you know, fine speech. Shout out to John Cena. But this is all unco unconstitutional. And even if it wasn't, then Donald Trump has the First Amendment right to say that you need to fight like hell for your country. It is not an incitement of violence. LOL, peace out. We're going to get to uh, uh, the votes on this very quickly. You know, this, this podcast is going to come out midnight on Friday, but I believe this is going to be done, you know, within 48 hours of that, probably Sunday. Senate's going to take the votes and we'll be past this. You know, I, I haven't talked a lot about impeachment, mostly because what I believe you guys want from me is a lay of the land of what matters. And while you can say that uh, uh, there has to be a nobility to these things, that there has to be a, a, a moment in which Donald Trump or anybody is, is held accountable for pushing things as far as he did, even if he didn't deliberately say, go storm the Capitol, he certainly put the, the, the country at a position where that could happen... He's not going to get acquitted or he's not going to get uh, convicted. He is going to get acquitted. And so there's a reason why I'm going to spend twice as much time talking about the California recall, because that's something that we don't know how that is going to turn out. And it is only those elements of our political landscape, which are truly worth breaking down. I wonder whether or not this is going to be the last station of the cross in this particular exercise though. And by that, I mean, the fatalism. It seems as if Democrats and liberals have become uh, uh, increasingly fetishists of fatalism. How many times has something happened in politics and you've thrown up your hands and said, oh God, we're doomed. This is terrible. I'm not even going to argue that you're wrong. I'm just saying that that seems to be its own subset of political solution. And that's fine. You're allowed to do it. it. It just, if you're able to accurately predict each and every time that, that something is happening, that it's going to go nowhere, then you know, you, at a certain point, you got to wonder how many times you're going to pull that lever, but this might be the last, this might be the final time, at least in terms of Trump. I mean, he might run again, but that's that's crazy. The, the House managers might have swayed one person, though, and boy, was, was it a, a, a kind of a surprise. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville literally just got elected saying on, on CNN that he, uh, uh, is, he has an open mind. He'll see what, what, what the Trump lawyers say, but uh, uh, that he was, he was certainly uh, unaware of all the data that the house managers brought up, the Democratic house managers brought up, which, you know, I, I don't know where on, on the line Tommy Tuberville falls between uh, 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 dunderheaded and lovable. 
that maybe not lovable. Lovable's probably pushing it. But the idea that he's like, wow, huh? The Capitol, huh? Well, I'll be. The old ball coach still has something to learn. Although I guess anybody who watched him coach sub-500 football teams probably could have told you that. One week ago, we had the wonk of wonks, Josh Spivak, on this very program, uh, wherein he told us about the California recall, threshold, success rates, where this particular campaign came from. And we have a few significant updates on this. Number one, the recall effort announced this week that they have passed the threshold they need in terms of signatures. They needed 1.4 million. They say they have 1.5 million. They are going to continue gathering signatures with the goal being 2 million, mostly because you're going to, not all the signatures are going to wind up being verified. So you need a cushion to make sure that you're still under, or sorry, still over 1.4 million by the time that everything shakes out. That means that Gavin Newsom, either in explicit language or in implicit action, has to acknowledge the fact that he is now in a recall campaign. This thing is going to come up way sooner than than you might think. The fall seems like a lifetime away now, specifically as we hope it's a fall that is much different than uh, uh, the pandemic-ridden world that we have lived in over the last year. But it's going to happen quick. And we are already seeing some evidence that indeed he is aware that this is going to be taken very seriously. I want to shout out uh, Carla Marinucci, who is a California-based writer for Politico. She has been a great resource on this. would love to get her on the show. I sent her an email. If anyone knows Carla, please hit her up and tell her that, that, that she has to come on the PX3 episode because she's got a great, great uh, uh, eye for these stories. But she says a, a few things. Number one, the reason why the signatures have begun to pick up is because the uh, recall effort now has become more capitalized thanks to the funding of uh, people both inside and outside the Republican Party, the opposition party in California. They are now paying people to go get signatures with a fairly high per signature bonus. The uh, amount that are coming from Democrats and independents, according to the recall effort, is indeed growing. As for... Gavin, he now has a strategy. And here's the strategy. Time to start making sure that when you think California COVID recovery, you think Gavin Newsom. Okay, so how do you do that? You don't just want to be the guy that uh, uh, is, is blamed for everything going bad. You want to be... Uh, the guy who gets credit when things go good again. After all, if you are in the governor's mansion, if you're in Sacramento and you are uh, uh, giving the, the brightest possible outlook on this, what you say is the following. Even though his approval ratings have fallen, 
He's not underwater yet. He's not under 50%. And number two, this is selling low. We're in the valley right now. People are frustrated. This has gone on longer than they expected. We literally just got out of a, a very bad time in Los Angeles in terms of the virus. So if we can understand all that, then we can we can project out that the better this gets, the further Gavin gets above 50%, the more this recall looks ridiculous. So let's make sure everybody knows Gavin Newsom equals recovery. He's begun to do this by being in person, opening up mass vaccination facilities. Couple vectors that we want to point out there. Number one, everything that he has done press-wise up to this point has been via Zoom in very tightly controlled windows. He knows what the questions are. He answers the questions. The only time that he's gone out and done other interviews were under crisis situations, and he has tried to limit those. So this is him going out with other politicians with good news to bring to the public, making sure his face is seen next to mass vaccination facilities in Oakland, in the Central Valley, and in Southern California. That's what he did out with the Oakland Coliseum. Just did it down in San Diego with their baseball stadium. That's a good idea. I think this is good politics. If anything, the problem isn't going to be the strategy. The problem is Gavin. Gavin is just kind of smug. He's like a He's like a football team that's only really good when he's ahead. When when everything's going great, Gavin Newsom looks like a a a, a sturdy leader. He's slick, but you know, you want to know what you kind of feel like, oh, well, that guy's got to have the answers. I mean, look at that hair and those cheekbones. He kind of looks like uh, if Matthew McConaughey were in a modern American version of Harry Potter. Like he's got slick back. He's definitely a death eater, but, but you want to know what? Everything kind of goes according to plan. He's a nice death eater. When things aren't going well, it's very easy to look at him right in his smug face and be like, you screwed all this up and it's because you're incompetent and arrogant. So he wants to be out there saying, look, when 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 your grandma gets vaccinated, I want you to think of Gavin Newsom because I was the one who was standing outside of it. We got one problem with that. And that is that, uh, who, who, Los Angeles has just announced that because they will not have enough vaccine doses, they are closing down their largest mass vaccination site at Dodger Stadium. They hope to reopen it sometime next week, but they have no official date as to when to do it. Not great. Not the end of the world, but not great. Also, we're not quite done with the bad news. California this week surpassed New York as the nation's leader in coronavirus deaths at nearly 45,000. Took nearly a year for that to happen, despite the fact that uh, uh, 
California is the first most populous state in the union. New York, I believe, is the fourth. So that ain't good. And then there's this. The National Republican Committee has just kicked in a quarter million dollars to this recall campaign. So this is getting increasingly better capitalized and Gavin's going to need some good news. He should get it, right? We should have less people dying of COVID the more people get vaccinated. But he's going to have to make some interesting decisions on schools. He's going to have to make some interesting decisions on opening businesses and allowing them to stay open, especially if there's another flare-up. If I were him, what I would do is be very transparent of what the return to normal program is. These are our hard and fast rules of when things are open, when things would close, and, and unless we cross these lines, we are going to make sure that all of these businesses stay open. We're going to make sure that these schools stay open. But he's got to be transparent because that's the biggest thing that I think has bit him is the fact that everything seems so loosey-goosey. Everything seems so just like swinging by the end of the tail. You can only say we follow the science so much before you realize that all these solutions have been different and you are probably just making it up as you go along. And you're saying we follow the science because you don't want to get yelled at on Twitter. Transparency would go a long way for Gavin. Because right now, it looks increasingly likely that the recall will take place in the fall. But based on current numbers, he is probably the favorite to survive. Will that continue to be the case if population centers like Los Angeles and the Bay Area have their vaccine, you know, their mass vaccine centers go in and out of operation because of a botched supply transition? That is the question. They asked me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I sure did. You can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Half normal writes. I find it interesting that your liberal leaning voted in the policies that have shaped the state of California. And now you're running away to a red state for relief. I would think that you would be more comfortable in Seattle or Portland. I'm sure the property values there have gone down in the last few months. Just saying. Thank you for the email, Half Normal. Um, let's break things down here. Number one, I'm, I'm not from California. I am from Florida. If you want to categorize my sensibilities, uh, it is Florida. And despite the fact that Ironically, the man I'm about to talk about, Tom Brady, is actually from the Bay Area. I would describe the the height of Floridian sensibilities as 
the viral video of Tom Brady throwing the Lombardi trophy from one boat to another during their victory boat parade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on on Wednesday. That's how I would describe my baseline political sensibilities is whatever's closest to Tom Brady throwing a Vince Lombardi trophy from one boat to another. That level of, 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 of recklessness. I have said before that I'm not going to take shots at California out the door. I've, I've thought, and, and we, we might, I might do a why I'm leaving California kind of grand thesis because I... I want to do it right. And and I what I don't want to do is just add to a list of very surface level grievances that have kind of become call and response to California. I remember I was in Indianapolis for Gen Con. I guess it was 2 years ago. And uh, John and I, my co-creator on The Contender in Action News, were driving into the city and, and uh, mentioned that we were from San Francisco. And the Uber driver, nice enough guy, but just kind of goes into his, you know, the, the A block of Tucker Carlson or a, a monologue from a Hannity or, or Rush Limbaugh about how horrifying San Francisco is. Much of which, again... It's not that I would disagree with. I just think that there are more subtleties to it. So am I a hypocrite? Because that's what you're saying, half normal. And and hopefully you don't mind me putting too fine a point on it. But am I a hypocrite for living in California and then moving to Texas? Well, certainly California is not anything but the bluest of blue of blue states. Although, as Joshua Spivak revealed on our show last week, the state where Donald Trump got the most Republican votes by number is California. Just shows you how many Democrats they got there. I personally do not believe I am being hypocritical. The biggest problem, and there is a a, a very good Ezra Klein opinion piece in the New York Times today, uh, or rather Thursday, about some of the liberal policies. And Ezra, Ezra Klein's a liberal writer pointing out that if liberal and progressive policies can't work in California, then why should the nation think that they could succeed anywhere else? The big thing he points out is that the median home price in California is 700000 Why does that happen? Because it's very hard, very, 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 very hard to build anything in California. It's hard to build housing. It's hard to build a business. It's hard to build uh, uh, anything. And part of it is because of regulation. Part of it's because now property values are so high, nobody wants them to go down by altering the neighborhood any. So the, the, the NIMBY aspect has kind of mutated into something that is possibly toxically provincial. If there were more housing options in the Bay Area, would we stay there? Possibly. I will say that we bought our house in Austin for 
less than $700,000. And I will also say, revealing my own uh, ballot box behavior, that each and every time on a local or state proposition that I had the opportunity to vote for a relaxed housing situation or for more housing to be built, I always voted for it. But, yeah, I don't feel hypocritical, but mostly because I was always, I felt I was kind of always passing through California. I didn't think I was going to die in California. I'm going to die where every Floridian dies. In a car accident because nobody had the heart to take away my license in Boca Raton. <laughs> Mark writes, I want to talk about the under-discussed issue that is a national nursing shortage and the fact that so few new nurses are staying in the field that the average age is in the mid-40s and trending upward. Hospitals have had crazy capacity and workload issues long before the pandemic. It's only now that we're really looking and noticing. If we're serious about healthcare, we really need to address this. Colleges are graduating tons of new nurse, tons of new nurses. They're not staying in the field for a variety of reasons that would make this too long of an email. Uh, Mark, I'm actually totally on your side there, and, and this has been a problem that's been going on for a really long time, especially in Florida. You know, when I was still there, a lot of my friends got into nursing, and and it was a immediate like you had to clear school, but you guys know how critical I am at college. Go get your loans out for nursing school because that is an industry for which you can make as much money as you want and live wherever you want in America and sometimes the world if you have that skill. It's a hard career. Sometimes the, the hours are bad. It's intense. You got to be a certain kind of person to do it. But everything that I have seen about nursing is that uh, uh, man, if you want to know that you, when you go to bed, that you did something that affected people's lives and you want to make a lot of money, go into that field. And, and, uh, uh, boy, uh, I would love to hear from the nurses. John writes, I want to thank you for calling me out on my BS. I don't like AOC. Not because she's so far left. She sometimes has head on collisions with her own party. For me, beginning with drinking from toilets and ending with the green new disaster, almost everything that comes out of her mouth has the foresight of junior high. She's prone to lying, extreme exaggeration. In short, she's a drama queen. But when you broke down the sequence of events, I thought about my wife, mom, and sister. She might be stupid incarnate, but she's human. I will say that most likely the three women I just mentioned would be huddled in a bathroom with a 38 devising a self-defense strategy, but they'd be afraid. And I would too. I don't dislike her less, but I do see her as more of a human. And for that, I thank you. John, this is our quiet revolution. <laughs> That's all I want. That's all I want. You don't got to like these people. Vehemently disagree with them. But if we can just think of them as human, boy, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for emailing that in, John. And finally, Norm Fazekas. At long last, I listened to an episode of Politics, Politics, Politics. I subscribed back around episode 47 due to many things, including you being on DTNS. I think me buying you a beer at the Brew Exchange back in 2016. You sounding so much like Brian Brushwood or vice versa. Boy, Norm, you're going to love this interview coming up. But never listen to an episode until 146. I've heard the Mel Brooks intro many times, and I love the terribly un-PC history of the world, R.I.P. Gregory Hines. I consider myself big on politics and listen to over a dozen plus news and politics podcasts, so I didn't think I needed any more. And even then, I only decided to finally listen because Jody Avrigan was on the show. I've listened to the 538 podcast since uh, they started four years ago. I listened to the Avrigan episode and learned that he left ABC 538 over a year ago. So that makes me realize that maybe I don't know everything and I'll listen again. Or will I? Oh, so mysterious, Norm. So mysterious. I'm happy you're here. Uh, and and to be honest, I do think it's time that we kind of look forward to booking uh, more guests that, uh, you know, have a higher profile. Because I do think that it brings more people in. And I'm happy about that. If you would like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Friends, if you want to keep this show going, if you want to keep us uh, uh, rocking and rolling, then uh, uh, now is the time. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Get on in that $3 level because, uh, uh, you know, we, we, got, we got some interesting stuff coming up. Not only are we going to get the, the ins and outs of this COVID relief bill, but I'm telling you, this recall is happening. This recall is on. And we are dialed in like a Zoom call where I got to use a rotary phone. That is how set on it we are this California recall. I am all over it. We're going to cover every single candidate, the fringe ones, the ones that are serious, the Instagrammers, the the troublemakers, the tech billionaires. I don't care if I got to sit on Clubhouse all day. I am going to get the best possible coverage for you about this recall. Lock it in now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level, get you two bonus episodes, one on Monday, one on Thursday, augments perfectly with the episodes on Wednesday and Friday. Can't say enough about it. Also, politicsmerch.com. That's where you can get all of, uh, of the merch for the PX3. You can get our, our album art. You can get the album art for uh, Raise the Dead. 1960, Raise the Dead, 1964, and a couple uh, a couple meme shirts from the show. Don't blame me. I voted for Gloria. 
You can get all powers, future power. It's there for you, not only on shirts, mouse pads, laptop cases, masks. We've got masks, people. Check it out. Politicsmerch.com. Our guest today is the host of Scam Nation, the host of The Modern Rogue. Both of those you can find on YouTube. He's my co-host on Night Attack, the comedy podcast airing weekly. He is the one, the only, Brian Brushwood. Welcome to the show, Brian. Yo, I want to have you on because... There was, obviously this is a big week in terms of impeachment, in terms of the COVID-19 relief. We've talked a lot about that and and what that means going forward. But there was also a more subtle cultural thing that happened. And it was on two levels. Social media and our understanding of it very much influenced the highest levels of politics. There was the opening argument for the impeachment where a 16-minute YouTube super video, cut. a supercut of what happened on January 6th was played. It employed a lot of the same, uh, uh, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to say tricks, but, but uh, uh, strategies. Uh, uh, generously, you would say best practices for emotional stereotypes. Exactly. St- storytelling, yeah. And was almost immediately a popular YouTube video. Like, I mean, it was, it was. I mean, up until that, that cat was a lawyer though. And then the cat was a lawyer (laughs) and that, and that totally superseded it. But also, and here's where I want to start. The Biden nominee for the office of budget management near a Tandon is now uh, uh, being questioned to see whether or not she is going to get the job. One of the central things that people are asking her about is not whether or not she has a competence for the job, but the fact that she has spent the last four years being a Twitter mean girl. And she has shredded Republicans and used very unkind language. She has also done the same to Bernie Sanders. She was very much a toxic Bernie bros are ruining politics kind of pundit. So I, I, as somebody who we've talked extensively about social media, internet culture, and how much of, of it, it affects quote unquote real life, because for us, it is very much real life. I, I wanted to, to, to kind of ask you this simple question. How much should somebody's Twitter account affect their ability to get a job in the highest levels of federal American government? Um, man. You hit me with a heavy one here because on the one hand, uh, you could make the case that internet chat is just internet chat and it's nonsense. It has nothing to do with someone's ability to do their job well when it comes to setting monetary policy or what have you, or whatever the job is. But on the other hand, uh, internet chat in the form of Twitter is all of what, uh, 15 years old now, you know? And, um, uh, we as a society are deciding what does it mean? Is this real speech or is it fake speech or whatever? And we've had a lot of people who have enjoyed hurling stones because it feels good because in your mind, 
you are a member of a faceless mob, but they're discovering the reality, which is uh, all of that stuff is on your permanent record. And, and we have you there hurling this stone at that moment. And um, I'm torn because I want to be forgiving of anybody who didn't really know what they were playing with in Twitter, uh, because I certainly didn't at times. But on the other hand, I'm excited about the fact that we're acknowledging, no, this is you, you and your real identity and your real story and your real behaviors. And when you think nobody is looking, this is how you act. And so in that regard, I, I think it is germane, you know, similar to like uh, we're in the middle of watching the impeachment trial and there is this breakdown of like, okay, notice when Trump uses all caps saying stop the steal. That's how he acts when he wants somebody to actually stop something. Notice how different that is from his behavior when he, quote, wanted people to stop, yeah. you know, <laughs> kicking in the doors of the Capitol or whatever. Um, I, th I think that our virtual uh, I think that our virtual identities are increasingly our real identities. And they're certainly the ones that are written down on paper in, in much the way that, you know, I don't know how, you know, Pope Leo the third or whatever acted <laughs> in his private life, but I do know what was written down about him. I wonder how much of it is because it's a lot easily, it's, it's more easily recordable and it is in its original form. If you're just reading things back, like right. in, in the articles it, that I'm pulling up here about, it's not a recount after the fact of how somebody remembered it landing. It's like, Nope, here's literally what was said and done. So, in that moment. you know, near Tandon said that, uh, vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz, right? That's a line that I'm sure, and she is a guest on television news on, on cable news. If you say that during a cable news segment, it no kind of deal. comes and goes and, and maybe somebody pulls together a super cut. Maybe somebody goes uh, uh, through the effort to pull all those quotes, but even then it almost feels weird for, if somebody said near attendance said that, Ted vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz on CNN in a weird way. It matters less than her saying it on Twitter. Twitter has yes. a, 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 a more of a power. Where do you think that comes from? I, I, I think it comes quite simply from the fact that we value the written word. We, we, we have a bias to assume that the written word is more on purpose than the spoken word. Yeah. That uh, we are, we are accustomed to the spoken word being ephemera, whether it's at a bar, around a campfire, you know, among friends, or even on the radio, like, you know, long form talk radio shows, just, just word diarrhea comes out yeah. constantly. And, yeah. and, and we understand like somewhere in there is the actual thought or whatever, but committing something to text, even though we're not even actually committing it to real text, we're digitally, you know, firing off a tweet. Um, I think we're wrestling as a society with the fact that, uh, yeah, man, that looks an awful lot like you just put something in stone that uh, in a heated state, which is not when you should commit things to stone. Is that good? I mean, are are, are we getting to a better or I mean, all right. So let's let's actually even take that. I take, wait, wait. I, I take that question back because I, I hate it when we're like, are we getting better or worse? We're just getting different and we're always getting different. But where do you but, think this but, goes? But, but 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 I do just real quick to the question of are we getting better or getting worse? Uh, I, I think that's where I subscribe to Steven Pinker's arguments where it's like at the end of the day, all we have is numbers. How many yeah. deaths, how many murders 
uh, what passes for entertainment. And it used to be that passing for entertainment was torturing and killing cats, breaking criminals bones on the wheel of uh, hanging people that used to be entertainment. Now, you know, the NFL is entertainment and, yeah. and, and, and now we're even moving beyond the NFL to where overwatch is entertainment, you know, where, where, yeah. where nobody's brains gets bashed in as a result of it. So, so, by all objective measures, we are becoming more peaceful, more kind, more understanding, more empathetic, uh, more tolerant of each other. However, we also are becoming, uh, we're actually, we're also going through a phase where we all want to pretend that what we type online doesn't really count. And now the bill has come due and we're realizing, oh wait, at the end of the day, that's definitely you. And, and if not your name, uh, then very soon AI algorithms are going to be able to piece together your language fingerprint and say it may have been under a different name, but there is a 99% chance that this was this you was that you. said that thing. Yeah. Your thoughts on Twitter have changed a lot. Yeah, but 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 that's that's because I chased uh, tactically, I chased having a big Twitter following because it seemed to matter for selling other projects. Um Weirdly, I, I don't know that I reach many more people now that I have a lot of followers. Uh, and, and that was achieved by a lot of handshaking and just follow the guy who follows the just automatic follow like yeah. everyone. I'm friends with everyone. Uh, and but the downside, uh, the upside is I get to flex a big number if somebody's interested in a project that I have. Yeah practically i don't know that that many more people are really listening to anything i say but it's kind of the worst of all worlds because everything i put out is a press release now and everything is a precarious like i mean nowadays it's either it's either a vague positive platitude that i put out or just a, a blind announcement that i love you and you should have a good day it's a lawyer who thinks he's a cat yeah. uh, or or it's promoting my own stuff um, and part of me misses that illusion. And I do think it was illusion because there was never a time that Twitter was a chat room. It was always a bunch of press releases, but there was a delightful, you know, five to seven years that we all treated it as though it was a chat room. And then we started to see collateral damage in the form of, 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 uh, uh, guardians of the galaxy, James Gunn getting canceled over old tweets. And then we saw Dan. That Harmon was later just, though. Just that was later. Stuff. That was, yeah. that was, I mean, cause I think you got like Twitter went from a curiosity for nerds. And it was, you always know that <laughs> I forget who said this, but you, you know, uh, a, a nerd is a person who calls his friend on the telephone so they can talk about the fact that they're talking on the telephone. And there was a lot of that with Twitter early on where we were just very excited that other people were on Twitter and we talk about Twitter. It, it's kind of where Clubhouse is now, where people go on Clubhouse so they can talk about the fact that they're on Clubhouse. And that that's almost like a necessary moment of supernova initial burst. You see how fast that burns out and whether or not you can build a society past that. The, the society that Twitter built was like in part live commentary, in part comedy and absurdity, but then and, and community. The idea that like I can tweet out, hey, I'm, I'm going to be at a Burger King. But then what 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 I want to get to what I want to draw a circle in is the fact that it also became canon. There was something that came out of it that was like, oh, if we can prove 
that this is faster than every cable news outlet. If we can prove that we can gather 400 people in town square by one tweet uh, for something silly, then what we can also prove is that this matters. And it does. And it did. And um, now Twitter, the company and Twitter, the platform is having to wrestle with the fact that uh, essentially (laughs) in a weird way, uh, the Arab spring, something that here in the West we consider generally a good thing. The, yeah. the, the reformation, the toppling of, of autocratic authority in, in the, the Middle East was a good thing. And it was empowered by Twitter. Um, if you are a space alien who doesn't know the difference between a United States and a Middle East. Yeah. The Arab Spring and the Proud Boys kick it down the door at, uh, at, at the, the Capitol don't look uh, all that different. Very difficult to tell the, to tell apart. And and Twitter apparently, obviously, you know, they, uh, I, I I think they tried to the best of their ability, and I, I I take them at their word that they are strong proponents of the First Amendment. And you and I grew up at a time where uh, uh, the First Amendment was sacrosanct; it was held above all other values. Yeah. Nowadays, we're seeing kind of a backlash where people are saying like. I don't know. It seems to me like free speech just ends up with, you know, uh, holocausts and whatnot. Um, but, but they held the line for, I think a very long time, possibly longer than was smart to do, but they definitely have collapsed. And now, now they've, they've broken the idea of being just a platform, a, a, a neutral, you know, town square. Yeah. And so instead Instead, everybody gets to come at them because uh, if if your uh, speech gets suppressed, then you know attack Twitter. If if your speech is not amplified enough, attack Twitter. I'm going to give you an option, and I want to see whether or not you take it. Twitter is now wholly owned and operated. It's not a public company. It is just wholly owned and operated by a prepper in Utah. And all he does is just operate the servers and it's still, it's the exact same product that it is now. He iterates the tech at the level that he does now, but he is not a San Francisco liberal with a big beard who goes to uh, uh, yoga retreats and, and fasting. Like he is somebody that is just turn on the lights, keep the lights on, keep the product sharp. And, and that's all he cares about. And he does not care about, uh, uh, Is, isn't uh, that the promise of, or at least the public facing promise of what they wanted to do with parlor? Theoretically. I yeah. mean, but, th- and, and let, 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 let's get to that in a second. Right. Yeah. But let's say that is Twitter. Are we living in a better world or a worse world? If, if that's the leadership of Twitter, man, I don't know because, um, in general, my default bias and I'm, and I'm, thrilled to confess that this is a bias and I'm, I'm processing to the best of my ability through it. But in general, the cure to bad speech is more speech and, and eventually the good message wins out over the bad message. Yeah. Um, I'll be damned if the events of the last couple of months hasn't thrown a bit of a monkey wrench in my mind as we see, you know, family members bubbling up where they're able to manufacture their own news feeds uh, in, in their own realities and so on. And it's difficult for everyone to talk to each other here. Uh, what I truly predict at sort of a thousand feet up level is that we are going through a correction period and there will be 
bubbles. You'll have populist presidents. You'll have people uh, constructing their own realities for a little bit. But but just like a housing bubble or a financial bubble, it can't sustain and eventually collapses and you achieve equilibrium. So uh, and we've already seen some of that in the form of. You know, when you go to Google News now, there's a whole fact check column down to the right. And, yeah. and I don't think it's agenda driven outside of to say, this is a bold claim. Here's an article highlighting whether or not the facts back it up, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I think that when you're in the moment, it's hard to see that the course is being righted. Much like, uh, for example, you know, if you're on the Titanic and you're headed towards an iceberg, let's say in an alternate reality they did steer left, you would spend a good two or three hours still facing that iceberg convinced that you're about to go down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though they're correcting the course. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. I wonder though, because I genuinely believe that we are, our conspiracies are no more dangerous than they've been in the past. Right. Our, our, our fringe elements of our society might even be smaller right. than they have been in the past. The only thing that's different is that everything's recorded. And, and we are reacting to the fact that we are able to look at recordings. We're able to look at metrics. We're able to look at, at, at raw data in a way that we couldn't when it was just how many people read a John Birch Society pamphlet. Because by the way, go back and read John Birch Society pamphlets. They're just as loony as the Q stuff, right. if, if not, if not a, a, a more overarching and damaging. So yes to that, but also we're at the exact same moment manufacturing superior counterfeiting technology for entire conversations. You and I have spoken in enough uh, hours and hours and hours on air that that uh, uh, bots like like we're already we make a joke out of it at the beginning of every night attack that they're using deep fake technology to plaster our faces onto other characters from famous situations like how how what are we a year 20 minutes from them being able to manufacture any conversation between I mean, the two sure, of us sure, sure. but that's but that's the future I'm talking about the now right. like, like 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 the now is that because everything's recorded and because, and this goes even to the fact checking thing, the we're in a place now where everybody can play fact checker. If they Google and they find an article and they say, no, this article isn't true because I found another article and that, and that plays and that plays to, to fact checking. And, and what that tells me is that uh, right now, the case is we can only make it one or two articles deep before we all run out of steam and we have to change a diaper or yeah. whatever. Uh, that tells me that there's an opening for an AI bot that we trust to keep on looking and give us the full story. And you are starting to see stuff like that. For example, um, uh, ground news is an app that, uh, as stories emerge, it says, all right, 60% of these are left-leaning, 30% of these are right-leaning, about 20% in the middle. Uh, 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 this is underreported on this one side. The, we intuit that this means whatever. Like, like we're going to build a uh, informational literacy that we currently don't have, or at least as a society don't have, and we're going to get better about. For example, um, I remember in the late 90s seeing somebody Photoshop a dead person on the side of the road and thinking this is going to ruin everything. Yeah. Right. About two years later, everybody knew Photoshop and everybody knew not to trust and how to, how to notice the signs of Photoshopping or yeah. whatever. 
it's going to be that, but with AI bots sort of breaking down like, hey, I've examined 6,000 articles on this. It seems like there is, you know, it's going to deconstruct it into this many come from these people with this reputation. This many comes from these other people. Uh, knowing you and your consumption habits, you will probably be tempted to think this. But as your AI trusted bot, I recommend you read at least these two counter uh, counterfactual articles. Yeah, I, I just wonder how much of that is, you know, really going to do anything. Like, like is is the idea that we can more easily have a a guardrail set up for our own confirmation bias going to make us more or less biased, or is that just not going to be something that we want? Because what we really do want is to prove that our reality, the thing that we have woken up every single day and gone to sleep every single night trying to craft for ourselves, indeed is the right thing to think, the, the right way to live. So objectively, we now live the longest we've ever lived with the happiest lives with the least amount of challenges factually in the history of all of humanity. And that goes globally. Even if you're in the bottom billion, you're doing better than everyone the in the bottom, bottom billion. billion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, however, subjectively, each one of us wakes up, you live a life and then you die. And during your life, there's some worst moment ever. And there's some best moment ever. Yeah. So I would say that emotionally, you're 100% right. We're going to continue to swing wildly from thing to thing. But uh, those are the moments that I try to retreat and remind ourselves that objectively, uh, you know, even with World War II, even with World War I and World War II, the 20th century was the 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 most peaceful hundred year block in the history of humankind full stop. Yeah. And that's that, uh, that's the stuff that I retreat and, and take faith in. And what I would like to think is that you're right. Uh, subjectively, there will still be a most embarrassing moment, a most awful moment when you get canceled. I, I, I do think that the pendulum is about to swing back on canceling. I think that um, uh, as more of what our does that heroes, look like, um, I, I think that just in general, uh, 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 uh there's cause, a, cause that to, to bring it back to near Tandon, and I don't think that she is necessarily somebody that needs defending because, uh, um, I, I don't, I don't get the sense that she's necessarily the nicest lady in the world, but nor do I think that her behavior on Twitter is the kind of thing that we want to be enshrining with leadership in the highest levels of our government. However, the, the, narrative around this is will the canceler get canceled like like will, will the person that has tried to throw mud and keep herself relevant in in democratic party politics by being the hatchet woman on twitter is she going to get rewarded for that or will there be a consequence for her being a a, a drag on our political culture i can't speak to that specific situation because I don't know enough about it, but I will say that, uh, you can track the use of the word heterodoxy, the idea that we can have different ideas, but still be friends. I think if, if much like GameStop, uh, uh, GameStop, uh, uh, games, GameStop, yeah. <laughs> GameStonk, yeah. um, 
Uh, I, I, I would buy stock in that idea. I think the pendulum is swinging back and we're getting more accustomed to the idea. For example, like uh, uh, take the Mandalorian. Gina Carano apparently tweets a bunch of crazy stuff on her Twitter. I, I haven't read it, but from what I understand, it's QAnon crazy I mean, stuff. Uh, number one, two people that I don't want to take political opinions from. MMA fighters and actors and Gina Carano's is both, both. right. Like, yeah. so okay. that's, that, however, it, however, always, yeah. I don't want to see her off the show. I like her work on the show and the idea that you can vehemently disagree with someone and still enjoy them, their work and be friends with them. I think that trend will be on the upswing over the next 10 years. So, so I think that, uh, in, in that so, regard, so what is, yeah, what I, I guess what I want to know is what makes you think that that's happening in this and, and, and we are not ju just going to uh, quite simply because we're, we're exhausted. We're, we're, we're canceling is a lot of effort and it's a lot of effort when you're doing it. It's a lot of effort when you're being the target of it. And I think that eventually you sate your appetite for it and you decide, yeah, that's not a lot of fun. And we've seen it over and over again. We saw it in the 1950s with the communist scare. We saw it in the 1980s with the satanic panic. We're seeing it in the, in the, 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 the teens of, of the twenties in, in this purity spiral of, of, you know, whether it's trans rights or what have you. Uh, and we only have energy for so long. And then we decide, you know what, can we just all be friends? And then, and I think we're entering, ending, or we're entering back into a, I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't see that quite in the same way that you do. Like I, I, I hope I would I would like for us to start building on similarities as opposed to making all of our similarities the fact that we're different from the other. Yeah. Uh but I don't I don't I don't see a ton of signs. I mean, I see more signs of us trying to recall and impeach politicians because of well, of of smaller things here's than what I, I do am seeing anything else. Is that a filtered informational diet? is becoming less and less socially acceptable. It's like cigarette smoking. Uh, there's kind of a gross wince that you give somebody when you find out that they get all of their news from Facebook. And that is new. And I think that will grow. And I think that heterodoxy, the idea that you're gonna get your information from multiple sources and that you, uh, the, the very idea, I don't think five years ago I had even heard the phrase steel man, an argument, but now it becomes the default, default hypothesis. Uh, oh, hey, you're somebody who believes something totally different than what I believe. Um, can we take turns steel manning each other's argument? And then like at a party, I could totally see that happening now in a way that five years ago, I don't think I could. So, so I am, I am optimistic if, if, irrationally so that that we might be moving in the right direction if we're going to get meta i would say the thing that does it that we lost was as much as i hate it god guys mark mark this down i'm going to defend television news we lost the nightly news we lost, we lost national nightly news we lost in many ways local nightly news in terms of a staple and i'm not saying it was good i'm saying it was easy Right. There was there was a very easy way that you could feel connected to society, that you could know who the president is and what the main thing was and who My was in the Thriller Super Bowl. Was the best album. And yeah, who was the hot uh, uh, chart-topping person, whether or not the teen sensation was going to be at the mall that you're, you wanted to take your kid to. Like That was an easy thing that you could do. That waned in cultural relevance, uh, and in its place came 
highly polarized, highly targeted political news. Our current bubbling. And like, why do people get all their news on Facebook? Because it's easy. It's just right now the easiest place you can go to feel connected. And and what I am seeing is an uptick in that being unfashionable because uh, keep in mind. But I think there needs to be a replacement, I guess, is, is where I'm going. Is that like we need something. Facebook was the replacement for the nightly news. So if Facebook is becoming less fashionable, then people will just be uh, uh, Visigoths until there's something else that might be either milder or or easier than Facebook, which now wouldn't be necessarily hard considering how kludgy that site is, uh, that, that allows people to say, oh, cool, this is my umbilical cord to society. I mean, what's funny is all I hear is market opportunity. Write me an app that allows me to feel morally superior where it's like it takes all the news and it says one side is saying blank. The other side is saying blank. If you encounter either be prepared with these two statements to make the other person feel heard. I, I even think that that might be something that is coming from an outdated model because the reason why I've loved some of the Substack stuff that that I've followed and I've now paid for is like email lists right now are in a renaissance. And the reason why is because I don't want a meta. I don't want to sort through the garbage because I think that a lot of the stuff that comes out is garbage. I don't feel a responsibility to read every article and every opinion. I just kind of want good ones. And so I can identify good people that I trust and I like, and, and I can get that stuff directly. Uh, that's interesting. Cause I think we're, we're phrasing the same impulse in two different ways. What you're saying is I want to follow one person who I trust yes. to fairly represent both sides. And what I'm saying is I want a robot to read all of the sides and, and summarize and them. summarize it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, 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 but I think, but, but again, what we're really back to is what I proposed at the beginning is making heterodoxy fashionable. And I think that is going to happen over the next 10 years. And I think that, um, uh, people are going to lose their taste for throwing stones and being caught throwing stones because it's not fun. Like for, because the only people who are vulnerable to stones being thrown are stone throwers, like, uh, or, or specifically those who are virtue signaling on a specific issue and then are found to be hypocritical or yeah. not entirely far enough to one side or the other of, of, of an issue. Uh, like among the left, uh, not to bring it back to Trump, but, 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 you know, he, he was essentially uncancelable in the left because he never held any sway with them whatsoever. Yeah. And so as a result, he had nothing to fear from everybody on the left shitting all over. I mean, he got more powerful. Correct. Like, cause By there was yeah. like this, this idea that he was Daenerys Targaryen who could walk through the liberal fire and all conservatives saw in the past was their champions wilt at the idea that they were afraid of the media, that the media could take them down. Right. And now here was this guy who got nothing but like the most, you know, 11 out of 10 vitriol. Every little thing he does is the worst scandal in history. And he's and then, meanwhile, there smiling. There are human beings like you and me who have no appetite to go through that experience. Like, like yeah. even if, even if we thought we maybe could, we have no appetite to try it or do it or whatever. We're totally willing to, you know, the shorter path is to uh, let me say what I think your position is and say it so well that you would agree and high five me and say, I'm so glad somebody understands me. Uh, I think, I, I, again, I, I'm very hopeful that that will become more fashionable over the next 10 years. 
Yeah. Because, because may I remind I, you, I, I, we, I, we, we never made cigarettes illegal. All we did was make them uncool and now they're gone. They're no, we gone. made them deadly. Uh, sure. Whatever. We, like, we made them unattractive and, yes. and, and now, and now, you know, everybody moves to vapes and then even the, and now, you know, there's, there's this, this weak willed attempt to demonize vapes, which is dumb because vapes just save lives. Well, all right. Yeah. So should we bankroll research that Facebook gives you heart disease? Um, I think it's already happening. I think, I think all of the research is there and they know it. All we have to do is proselytize at this point, because again, like, no, but, the, but we know, but the, we need, we, we, we need but, to make but, Facebook, uh, uh, it activates your T zone and four out of five doctors agree that you should go on Facebook. Like uh, the science on whether or not cigarettes cause cancer was settled, uh, five decades ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just took everybody deciding to rub it in everybody's face and make it a gross thing and, and make it unpopular to do. The science is also settled on bubbling up in your news feeds on Facebook. We just need to, as a society, begin to, and for example, you know, and back to the story, I don't even know the person or what, what job she's Near up for. Near the office of uh, budget, but, but, manage, but budget management. My impulse is if we are going to start putting out there that you will be held account for the, your activities online, uh, that, that sounds a lot like, you know, just letting everybody who's 18, 19, 20 years old, impressionable and young know that you will be held to account for the things you say online. And but even I'm, then, I'm kind of okay is that, that righteous canceling? I don't know. I don't know. It depends on what you say. Doesn't is, it? is, is canceling the cancelers still canceling? I, I, I don't know. We're, we're, we're too, too many layers deep in inception at this point. Well, I mean, but I think that that's ultimately the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because we have spent a lot of time in, in the internet for us, like Facebook and Twitter are still new technologies, right? Like, like right. a lot of our formative experiences were on message boards and, and chat rooms and, and truly were anonymous. Ain't, ain't, ain't yeah. nobody uh, grabbing them telephone logs and looking up which, who called from what phone number exactly. to post what. And I think what we are seeing now are these mutant Frankenstein, uh, uh, scalable to infinity versions of some of the best and worst behavior on those technologies. And what we don't know is where it ends. What we don't know is how it changes. We can have guesses. We can we can guess that it integrates with our natural society the way that we've known it in the past enough that there are our baselines that it will hew to. But we don't. We don't know for sure. Uh yes, you are a hundred percent right that we don't know. But my intuition is this is not that much different than the invention of the printing press, not that much different than the invention of Morse code, not that much different than the invention of, you know, any number of, yeah. of, of, of populist, uh, communication technologies. Yeah. And just as we saw a correction of all of those, I believe we're entering a correction phase for this one. I hope so. I mean, I, 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 I guess, let me let me just speak on uh, for on the benefits of canceling. Like 
there are things for which I'm glad we now talk about that, that gatekeepers allowed us. I mean, to me, I've said this before on the podcast, but the most important moment in internet history was Matt Drudge publishing a story that was spiked by Newsweek because it proved that the internet was a place where that could happen. Like there, there were no power structures. There were no gatekeepers that could keep everything. If, if it got out and it's on and somebody else knows about it, they can do the, 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 the heretical idea of simply publishing what they heard. What I think we are, we are now processing is, okay, well, Harvey Weinstein, it was all known that he was an awful person. And then everything snowballed. Great. Like, but is that the same for the New York Times guy who was tone deaf on a field trip to Peru with a bunch of like, you know, private school kids and now get fired from the Times? Right. Is that OK with a, a, a romantic situation where we don't know what happened behind closed doors, but people have very strong feelings about it and, and are going public like there are the edge cases that we then define the action by. And I do agree those edge cases are, or at least the, the most clear cases are like, yes, the ones that lead to a crime and, and uh, unearth evidence or give victims the, the confidence to come forward. That is a tremendous thing. But also, I think that the, the larger cultural shift is, is what we have to keep an eye on. I, I think there's always, whenever it comes to any of these flashpoint moments, um, there's a delicate balancing act between the person who is saying it, who theoretically has some amount of power balanced against the appetite for the world to hear a story, a certain type of story, whether it's true or not. Yeah. Like, like, like when the world is primed to hear a ter certain type of story, uh, they'll take a round peg and fit it into a square hole, you know? Um, and I think we're, I, I, there's no shortage of examples of this. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I wish I had a simple answer for you, but, but, but I am going to say, uh, that, that with every canceling cycle, I think that all the cancelers get a little more tired. All of the cancelees become a little more careful and we get closer to that equilibrium. My, the, the reason why I would ultimately back your play is not because I think that our better angels will, uh, uh, you know, come to the fore. I believe that we will be more judicious about how we think about, you know, the gang, the dog pile, because it becomes less effective. And if anything, Correct. yes, like, uh, be, because we've heard this story before, like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, this is like the 25th version of this. I'm not really going to give a, bu it my a, attention. a buddy, buddy of mine works at a makeup company Yeah, that works with influential YouTubers and in, in the beauty world. And I don't know how much of our audience crosses over with that, but if you're familiar with it, 100%. Yeah. Uh, if you're familiar with it, they cancel each other constantly seven times oh a my year, God, seven times yeah. a year. Right. And yeah. it is massive because these audiences are gigantic. And every time I've like, I, I knew my buddy worked with one of these, one of these guys and I'm like, oh man, are you guys like in, in, in DEF CON, uh, uh, situation now with this like, uh, public relations storm. And he was like, what do you mean? It's an extra Christmas. 
<laughs> every time, every time it happens, a Christmas size sales bump of that person's fans by. I am, I am not a fan of that being the reality. I am not a fan, no matter how profitable it may be for anybody in the middle of a, of a firestorm. Uh, I, I, it's, it's unpleasant. I don't care for it. But is that the counterbalance? If you're like, oh, let's cancel this person. They're terrible. If you know, oh wait, I'm literally just giving them millions of dollars. Does that make you want to do it less? Uh, y yes to that as a, that's as, what I'm as a bystander. Yeah. But also what I don't like is that it, it is a selection bias that only encourages more sociopaths into that production capability. Well, I mean, number one, if, if, if I mean, what we, it, it, similar to like, we were chatting earlier about like, uh, more people, uh, somebody said to us, uh, I think more presidents should be impeached. And I'm like, no, because that will just attract more sociopaths to the presidency. I mean, well, look, if, if, if we want to drive all the sociopaths out of show business and politics that we've got, <laughs> brother, we've got, we've got some very work boring world. <laughs> Welcome to the campfire. <laughs> uh, Brian Brushwood, modern rogue, uh, scam nation, uh, twitter.com uh, slash wood. If you want like very nowadays, I just tweet pictures of my dog. Like I'm, I'm like, come at me. I, I swear if this dog humps somebody, you could cancel the dog. I don't care. Yeah, and you post your dog's uh, step count, oh, which no. is yeah. judged Stats. against other dogs. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, it, it is, and, I, and I'm, I'm blowing it and wide you're open. you're here to win. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brian, thank you so much. You guys know what to do. Let's roll out the welcome wagon. Uh, if you enjoyed Brian Brushwood on this show, then go ahead and hit him up right now on Twitter. The easiest free way that you can support this show is by supporting the guests that come on it. Very easy this time. S-H-W-O-O-D on Twitter. Schwood on Twitter. Again, that is S-H-W-O-O-D. And obviously, considering Brian is a, a, a mentor of, of mine, a, a confidant, a, a production partner for so many years. I know we obviously have a shared audience. So please go ahead and head over there right now. If you want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Of course, our Twitter is at px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. And our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. If you want to support us monetarily, you can do so on PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is Justin-Young-20. And uh, uh, let's see, who is our, who's our, who's our dollar? John, John uh, 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 hit me up with the dollar and one cent. Uh, Matthew hit me with a dollar. And Brian, Brian hit me with 10. Not should, although I'm sure he might. Uh, also, I am on Cash App. Somebody asked me uh, uh, if, if, if I would get on Cash App, and indeed, I am. You can hit me up, uh, PX3Cash on Cash App. Of course, if you want to send me a check or anything else to my safety deposit, or my safety deposit, my uh, P.O. Box. It is P.O. Box 10853, Oakland, California, 94610. Those are for one-time payments. If you want to become a patron, if you want to get our bonus content, 
TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Exclusive to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. So if you want the bonus stuff, that's the place to head. And our vanguard on TakePoliticsSeriously.com is our Titanic $10 tier. I love you, TNT. Dr. G, The Gen, Kathy Mack, Headphones Neil, Onward to Georgia, Captain Bunzo, Jay Sulu, Dallas Andrew Taylor, Middle-Aged Mike, But What Happened to Tex, Get a Bucket and a Mop, Cujo, Idris, Jacob Wilson, Berkeley Steven, Justin Egan, Dotcom Junkie, Diana Sunny Smiles, Tempest Fugit, Jason with Magnolia Delta Credit Card Processing, D-Laser, Hashtagus, Tally, The 100 Mile Runner, Government Unfiltered, Alec, Jerry, Andres, Neil, Archie, Darren, Paul, David, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, David, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, Chris, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Scale, Jim, Jen, D. Really, Frozen Summers, J. Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to join their ranks, you can head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Guys, wrapping up an emotional week in and out of politics with this show, specifically with me personally. Oh, good googly moogly. Ready to get back to Oakland. Begin the final shows from... The original PX3 studio in uh, in Lake Merritt. Man, so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Uh, I don't know who's on the show next week because I have not booked anybody. Uh, uh, obviously, there's been a lot going on. But until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more. They're out here talking about politics, but this... This is the only show that dares talk about her. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.